In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. To be with Jesus. <clears throat> to be with Jesus. And so we're still with him. Of course, he's in the tabernacle, but exposition to be in his presence. Story on the road to Emmaus, the uh, disciples, they're having a conversation with him. And he, he wants to leave and they say, stay, Lord. Stay. The evening draws near. Stay. Don't leave us alone. We're afraid of the dark. Don't leave us alone. Stay with us. That's the deepest movement anthropologically of the human being. Stay with God. Stay with God. When we don't have the real God, we make them up. That's how much we need God. We don't have the real God, we make them up. We've been making up idols since the beginning of time. Because we so much want to be in his presence. <clears throat> the goal of marriage is to internalize each other's presence through intimacy through the sharing of your deepest thoughts, feelings, and desires, intimacy, the internalization of one another so that you carry each other in your heart, in your respective hearts. Where is home? Where is home? You know, home is where the heart is. Okay, so when you those who are married, when you internalize your wife, whenever you're with her, wherever you're with her, you are home. As you grow in deeper intimacy, you become more disinterested in specific things. You become, as St. Ignatius said, indifferent. Not that you don't care, but that you're free. So where do you want to live? It doesn't matter as long as she's with me. Where do you want to go? It doesn't matter as long as she's with me. Because wherever she is, I am home. You become indifferent. All you want is the presence. <clears throat> That's why heaven is our home. It's the eternal presence of the one who loves us and we love in return. <clears throat> Teenagers always want to know what we're going to do all day in heaven. I have no idea. I know that somehow we're going to get our bodies back someday, but I have no idea what that means. And I have no idea what it means to be in a body in eternal life. No idea. And anybody who tells you they know something about it, they don't know. It's so eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even dawned. We have no idea. All we know is going to be good for us. It's all we know because we know the good God has done everything he can to bring us home, to keep us in his presence. And our only obedience is to not wander. That's why the prodigal son story is so powerful. Hey, Dad, 
Whatever you're giving, whatever you're doing, however you're loving me is not good enough. I wish you were dead. Give me your inheritance now. Or give me my inheritance now. I wish you were dead. I don't want you. I want what you give me. That's the human condition. I don't want you. I want what you give me. What are we going to do all day in heaven? In other words, what, what's God going to give us up there so that we'll be entertained? And what if God just said, me? You're just going to be with me. Well, I was with you at Our Lady of Good Counsel in Lincoln, and it was kind of boring. So I'm not sure I want to be there for all eternity. Well, it will be a different radicalized presence But to some extent, we're already tasting heaven because the only thing in heaven is him and those who have been associated into his body. That's it. If you don't like people, you're not going to like heaven because they're all there. Archdiocese of Omaha recently had this big jamboree at the Civic Center. A couple thousand people showed up. And I'm walking through in the crowds, and I'm seeing all these people. I'm saying, "This is look at all these Catholics here. This is great. We're going to have Eucharist. We're praying. We're passing each other in the hallway. We, we know, I know you're Catholic. I'm Catholic too. Cool. It's like heaven. And then I saw Bob. And I said, this ain't heaven. Bob's here. Very disappointed. Right? That's why we need purgatory. Because Bob's going to be there. Bob's going to be in heaven. And I can't stand Bob. What's he doing in my heaven? And purgatory is all about the purification of our projections onto idealism and perfection the extension of our own egos, the extension of our own identities onto everybody else so that we truly are comfortable and celebrate the fact that we are with someone who's not me. <laughs> That's why marriage is really good because you, you, in the early stages of romance, you project so deeply that you think you're marrying yourself. That's why you're so happy. Do you want to go to dinner, honey? I do want to go. Oh, this is great. Do you want to go to this movie, honey? I do. Oh, this is great. I'm going to marry this girl. She keeps saying yes to the extension of my ego. And then one day she says no. And you realize, I didn't marry myself. Damn. Well, I, liar. I thought you were me. But you turned out to be an other I wanted Marianne, my wife, to want me so much that uh, when we were first dating, she says, I like flea markets. And I said, I love flea markets. I love flea markets. I'll go to a flea market every weekend with you because I love flea markets. It's a lie. And she said, I love hiking because I said, oh, I want to go hiking. I lived in New York up near the mountains on the Hudson River and I'd go hiking 
And I said, you like hiking? She said, I love hiking. And we would go hiking. And we would go to flea markets. Right? 33 years later, I can sell you those hiking boots she bought. They're still in the box. Right? She only went like five times until after we got married. And if you think I'm going to flea markets, you're nuts. I don't go to flea markets. We're married, right? I don't have to. The, the mutual extension of the ego. Oh, I'm marrying Jim. He loves flea markets. He's another me. Oh, I love Marianne. She's a hiker. She's another me. Then all of a sudden, you're not me. <laughs> By the way, that's how we make babies. It's because you're not me. You're not even a male. You're so other than me. And all those who are other will be in heaven. And the, the interesting thing is, if I'm in heaven and Bob's in heaven, we'll actually love each other. Or we wouldn't be in heaven. We'd either still be in purgatory or we'd be in hell. Jesus is trying to purify us here so we will all be at home in his one body. Don't resist the purification. God is not you. You must have spiritual chiropractic. You must be aligned in a different way. Or even if you made it to heaven, you wouldn't be happy. Because you didn't allow yourself to be aligned in a different way. What's the different way? To welcome the other. And there's no one more other than God. That's why we killed him when he took on flesh. He was so foreign to us, he was a threat. And we killed him. He so didn't act like what we act like. He so didn't act like what we want him to act like. And so we killed him. And for those of you with teenagers yet, you'll understand what I'm saying. They are so radically different and they don't act the way we want them to act. We don't kill them, but we aren't so sad when they go to college as they think we are. They are not. My wife and I, when we dropped off our last minute college, we stopped at a convenience store and went in and got two shooters and drank them in the car. They are gone. And they thought, Mom and Dad, don't be so sad. We're not. You are so other than us. Go. Go. Because when, you're, when the kids are little, again, they become little extensions of your egos. I remember when my boys were younger, I would say, want to go to the zoo? Yeah. Want to get an ice cream? Yeah. Want to watch this game on TV? Yeah. Want to go off? Yeah. Wow. It was like living by myself. Everything I said, they said yes to. And all of a sudden, they became other. And I hated them. No, nah, I don't want to, Dad. No, nah, I don't want to, Dad. And then Marianne on top of it. No, nah, I don't want to, Jim. Hey, what happened to everyone being me so that I could be happy? 
And that's the adjustment that Jesus is making. He whispers, you can be happy when everyone's not you, too. Let me show you the way to actually love the other as other. And that's why we need the purification. We need a new mind. St. Paul calls it the mind of Christ. That I'm not threatened by difference. I welcome it. Because again, there is no one more different than God. Romans 12, 1-2 I urge you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourself to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not conform yourself to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How? The body of Christ, amen. The blood of Christ, amen. You keep ingesting that mystery, you will have a metanoia. Originally in the Greek meaning to go beyond the mind you have now. So that when I see Bob coming at me, I can embrace him rather than think that he ruined the whole day. Because I no longer have Jim mind. I have the mind of Christ. As we conclude in the last conference, what you pay attention to, you become. As you are radically welcoming Jesus with every sacramental act you're involved in, if you are vulnerable at the level of freedom knowledge, and will, you will become what you receive. And we will call you saint, another Christ. Because you have been so vulnerable, you are becoming what you love. Even though he's very different than you. And the beautiful mystical thing about God is that he never makes you other than you. He makes you more you. That's how. That's what love is. Love is when you make the person more themselves when you're with them. Not other than themselves. I used to teach in all-girls school very briefly. Briefly. Because I wanted to retain my sanity. But... The girls were very pressured, at least in their own minds, to conform to what boys wanted because they didn't want to be lonely. So they'd date a boy, and a boy might say, um, you're a great person, but you know your, your hair is kind of weird. And then the next week, the girl would have a new haircut. You're kind of a great person, but that outfit you have on, the next week she'd have a new fashion. Why? Right? Because the boy didn't love her. The boy wanted to date himself and what he liked. 
What he liked was the extension and the, and the rule of reality. What is love? Love says, you're not me. That's why I love you. I love you because you're not me. And that's the only way we can understand even a little glimmer of God's mind. Why would he go to the cross for you? There's something in God that says, because you're not me, I love you. There's something in the very depths of God that is beguiled by difference. And even though in the beginning stages of love as human beings, it's a suffering for us to realize we didn't marry ourselves. Over time, we begin to delight in the fact and we begin to understand and reverence that the one I married is so different from me because the one I married is good for me. And to have married myself, I would have stayed mired in my own pain and isolation and egotism. But because I married her, the one who is other, she's drawing out of me a new way of life, a new way of seeing, a new way of being. If I can have the courage to actually live with someone who doesn't worship me, but loves me. I remember at one point, I was in my 20s and I was dating a girl or a couple girls actually at one point, and they, everything I said they liked. And um, I was doing this, it was in my 20s even, talking about Jesus and giving retreats. And they were always like, ooh, oh, that's great. And I would say, yeah, that is great. And everything I did, they wanted to affirm. And what I noticed with them is I got bored with them. Because it's boring being by yourself. And when I met Mary Ann, she could care less about stoking my achievements. I remember once she said to me, you know, I never experienced God in every, anything you ever said. And I was like, I love you, Marianne. Thank you so much. And she would just say, pass the salt, you know. And it was pure. It's like, well, if you don't love what I love about myself, then what do you love about me? And that's the great mystery. There's more. There's, deep, there's deeper folds and elements of the person that another attaches themselves to. Be thankful. Be thankful that love is about the inclusion of the other in our lives rather than the extension of the self. Or there would be no progress in salvation. None. That's why we have families, right? Because they don't really care about our identity, our achievement. I remember when I got my doctorate, I went to my mother and father and said, 
Well, I finished my doctorate, you know. I didn't go so far as to say, you must call me doctor now. But I said, I finished my doctorate. And my mother said, oh, that's good. You worked a long time at that. Do you want a bologna sandwich or ham? And that was it. I got a bologna sandwich from my mother. Why? Because she was my mother. (laughs) And she loved me. Not what I was doing, achieving. That's what God. That's why it's going to be asinine for us to go to heaven's gate and say, I obeyed all the Ten Commandments like the rich young man. God's not impressed because he loves you, not your achievements. The mystery, if you have a good wife, she stayed with you even though your sins are scarlet. She's loving you. If you don't believe in God and you have a good wife, you are irrational. Because she is loving you in the midst of your scarlet sins. She is the reflection of God in your home. As she forgives you and lives with you and stays with you. Every morning when you get up, you should look at your wife in the face and say, You're still here? Thank you. Thank you. Because she doesn't have to be. What's heaven going to be like? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. But it's going to be good for us. It's going to be very good. But first we have to pass through the purification that renders us fit for heaven. As the medievals would say, render us fit. You're not fit for heaven because you're a nice American. You're not fit for heaven. You have to go through the spiritual chiropractic that bends and adjusts you to loving. This is the most scandalous thing of all. The enemy. Bob. Who's your Bob? You must love him. And it's funny when you slight people sometimes, you think, oh, I'll never see that guy again. Yes, you will. He's the one opening purgatory's door for you. And to get into purgatory, you're going to have to pass him. You'll see him again. I don't care about that guy. I'll never see him again. Yes, you will. Every person that Jesus loves, you must love. Think about that. Or don't. Because it is scary. Unfortunately, God loves everyone. Even Bob. But we don't despair because each communion that you're receiving, you are displacing more and more your own spirit and making room for the Holy Spirit. And it will be the Holy Spirit who enables you to love your Bob. 
There used to be a televangelist preacher who, when I was turning the channels, shows how old I am, I turned channels. Um, when I saw him, I was like, I hate that guy. And one night I had a dream and we were bunkmates in heaven. And I woke up like almost startled, like a sweat. I'm going to spend eternity with an evangelical television preacher? Maybe. He's loved by God. How in the world can I love? Only in his spirit. That's why you have to cry out for the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Remake me. Because naturally, we're repulsed by our bobs. Supernaturally, we embrace them. Number eight, if you look at the meditation on your sheets there, number eight. So we go to heaven... Not because we're good, and this is always the, the maturation point in our spiritual lives. Um, until we hit a certain maturation point, we are polishing our resume for Jesus. Well, you know, I did go to that retreat in January. Uh, put that on the resume. You know, when my wife was unfaithful, I was faithful and I forgave her. Oh, put that on the resume. That's pretty good. That'll impress Jesus. You know, I go to Sunday Mass every Sunday. Put that on the resume. That's what we think salvation is. Us doing good things so that we can go to heaven. The scary thing about this is I've come to believe it's the opposite. It's God doing good things so we can go to heaven. And God doing good things in our presence so that that goodness so affects us, our behavior changes. Our behavior changes as a result of God doing good things in our presence. So it's not us pulling us up by our bootstraps and saying, yeah, I won't get drunk anymore. It'll be really hard, but I'm not going to do it. Hey, Jesus, aren't I cool? I don't get drunk anymore. Don't you love me now? Because now I'm good. And Jesus says, well, I already loved you. The problem is you had it backwards, son. You should have let me love you when you were drunk. And you would never be drunk again. You should have let me be good to you. You should have let me love you at your most vulnerable point. That, remember that point you kept hiding from me? If the very trigger of your excessive drinking, remember that? Because you kept hiding that vulnerable point from me and you wouldn't let me love you right there. 
Now you think your sobriety is an achievement of strength. But I just wanted to love you in your weakness, and it would have all been over. Yeah, but Jesus, I don't want to show you that part of me because it's embarrassing, humiliating, and painful. The horrible thing about Jesus is that he works at the sight of the pain. And we can't stand that. It's like um, the most popular medical procedure for the American male is the emergency room. Why is that? Because we know when we go to the doctor and we sit on that table with a crinkly paper, if I say to the doctor, what's wrong with me? He or she is going to touch it. And it's going to hurt. So I'm not going. That's what doctors do. They work at the site of the pain. And, and how does Jesus work at the site of the pain? What is his instrument? His unconditional love. For you, for me. Open it. Open it in front of the Eucharist. Where is the pain? My father hates me. My wife thinks this. My kids think this. My friends, oh, what friends? I have no friends. I fail at work all the time. What is the pain that you keep shielding because you think the physician is going to touch it? And if you would only open it, his healing could reach it. And over time, because most healing in the Catholic spiritual world is developmental, progressive, and always relational, very few healings are instantaneous. Over time, if you keep that wound open before him, progressively, developmentally, relationally, you will be healed. But you won't be able to go to Jesus and say, see, through willpower, I stopped pornography. You'll be able to go to Jesus and say, thank you. Because every moral healing is a gift, not an accomplishment. Stay open and let him minister to it. Let him work at the site of the pain. That's why we go to confession. That's why we go to mass. That's why we have spiritual directors. That's why we have psychological counselors. That's why hopefully you have good wives, good friends, where you can hold open the wound 
to the appropriate person, not to anybody. That's what those talk shows are built on on TV. They're all people holding open their wounds to inappropriate objects. Like Maury, or that guy from Cincinnati, I forget his name, where he'd find every person who was in pain and had 15 adultery experiences, and he'd bring them on stage and they'd admit everything. And they were admitting their wounds and their pains to the television camera, which can heal no one. You never bring your pain to an inappropriate source of healing. But there is no more appropriate source than right here. The safest emotional place on earth is prayer. If you believe in the real God. If your God is skewered and you think he's angry at you, of course you'd never reveal. If you, God, if you think your God hates you because you sin, of course you would never reveal. But if you worship the real God, the one that we know from this scripture, the safest emotional place on earth is prayer. You can tell him everything. And his response will be love, healing, life. So we don't go to heaven because we're good. We go to heaven because God has been good to us. Let him be good to you. Let him be good to you. Give him a chance. Open the wounds. The more his spirit is in you, further on in paragraph ten, uh, 8, the more his spirit is in you, which means the more you're participating in his life, this is what enables you to give up your idols. The more you are participating in his life, he enables you to say no because you are vulnerable in his presence. There was a woman once who went on retreat. Before she went on retreat, she said, oh, I'm going on this retreat. I said, oh, what's the retreat about? She said, oh, just, you know, learn how to pray, be quiet, prayer. Okay, good. So she went on the retreat. She came back. She said, oh, Dean Keating, can I see you for a minute? Sure. We went to the office. And she sat down. And I sat down and she said, do I have to reverse my tubal ligation? It was like, and I was thinking, what kind of retreat was this? Was this medical ethics retreat? What was going on? No, no, no. She was vulnerable, which from the Latin means wound. She opened her wounds. And Jesus revealed to her the immorality of her tubal ligation. Nobody told her it was wrong. Jesus revealed it to her. Haranguing, haranguing, you're a bad person, you do bad stuff. No, when we're vulnerable to Jesus, Jesus ministers to those areas of our life 
where we are in such pain, we act out in anti-human behavior. Or we are overcome by such fear that we do things that betray our human dignity. Jesus takes care of that. That's why the most important moral thing we can do for the church is to promote teaching people how to pray. If you want people to be morally converted, teach them how to pray. Because they're not going to be converted by you telling them their behavior is wrong. They probably already know it. And when you tell them, you just give them an excuse to hate you for telling them. What we need to do is teach people how to pray. How to be vulnerable with everything that's in them. So that the physician can work at the site of the pain. You don't have to tell me your sins. But if you want to be happy, you have to tell Jesus everything that's in you. Hey, Deacon King, will you pray for me? I'm going on retreat. Okay. Basically, she just said, I'm going to be with Jesus. And she comes back wondering about a moral, behavioral question. That's what God does. And he does it gently and specifically if we're vulnerable to him. He will enable us to get rid of our idols. He will do it. And we will become good, not through our willpower, but by receiving a gift. And the more we set ourselves up to receive this gift, the more we are becoming like him. What does that mean? The more we don't hide anymore. The more we find our sins distasteful. The more we have a metanoia and go beyond our own mind and become inhabited by the mind of Christ, the more we put himself, put ourselves in his presence, in paragraph number nine, we begin to think like him and act like him. So you want to be good? You don't want to be immoral? Put yourself in the presence of God. Remember, he reached a man in the midst of intercourse with a prostitute in Vegas. He was converted in the midst of mortal sin. That's the reach of God. He can reach you too. And then he'll change you so that you'll think and act like him. And sin will become more and more distasteful. That's why I said before, pray that you become bored with your own sins. That's his grace working. So that you can take on the mind of Christ. Become holy. There was a woman I knew who has had multiple sclerosis and she was in a wheelchair and her husband left her, had an affair with a sweet young thing, and left her behind. And I would take communion to her every so often because she couldn't get the mass because of the wheelchair. 
And one day she told me that her husband, the man who abandoned her, because she was now an invalid, her husband had called on the phone and he wanted to know if he could come back because he had contracted cancer and was dying. And the sweet young thing left him. And so a few weeks later, I came back for another communion call, and I walked into her living room, and she was sitting where you are sitting, and I'm sitting here. And over her left shoulder, her bedroom door was open. And laying in her bed was her dying husband. who had abandoned her. In the bed of defilement, if you will, she said, come back. Die with me. Who does that? Only Christ. Americans don't do that. Americans say to the woman, let him rot in the curb. Women who are Eucharistic ministers, don't take him back. Who says that? Who says, yes, enemy of mine, come to the wedding bed that you defile? Come back and die with me. That's what all those Eucharists are doing for you. Changing your mind if you're vulnerable. If you're going through the motions, you will come in an American and leave an American. But if you are showing your wounds, you will come in an American and leave another Christ. Over time, developmentally, progressively, relationally, he will do it. And you want it because you know how puny and limited you are now. And you know that you were made to be that kind of person that Mrs. White was, who said to that man, come home. And how could she say, come home to him? Because that woman's home was with Jesus. And because her home was with Jesus, she was free to welcome the enemy and to forgive him. Her home was nowhere else. Where's yours? Where's your home? Where do you live? 
Where do you draw life from? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, give us the grace to go to the doctor. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.